to the latest episode of the One on Tap podcast with your hosts Sue and Paul. As the family grows, most people look to buy larger homes to meet their needs. Then it happens. You're suddenly in your 50s or 60s and it's just the two of you rolling around in this large house or two, surrounded by all this stuff that's accumulated over the decades. In this episode, we talk about our own story, look at some of the options open to people looking to downsize or right-size, and discuss some trends feeding the beast or even starving it to an extent. Good afternoon, Susan. How are you going? I'm great. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. So we found ourselves in this very much in this situation. Uh, we owned a couple of homes, uh, one a larger family home and the other a holiday apartment. And uh, we hit our 50s and all of a sudden we're rattling around in this big home and we've got all this stuff. And then we're rattling around in our weekend home and uh, we decided to downsize and to get rid of and dispose of the family home and look at doing other things. It was kind of a traumatic experience in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, it's hard work for a start, the mm. physicality of going into um, storage cupboards that have had stuff placed in them for many decades, yeah. but um, also looking around at the furniture you've accumulated as well and deciding what to try and do with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a, garage, a double garage and I had a, having come out of the IT industry, I had basically a Macintosh museum, <laughs> um, which uh, ended up disposing of. Yeah, it, stuff kind of, uh, it grows on you or, or, or it doesn't. But there yeah. are some trends to people are looking at to change all of that. So our decision to get rid of our home, I think it was largely, it was a four bedroom, five bedroom, double story brick with a garden. It took lots of time to look after oh, and, and a swimming pool, pool and yeah. all those sorts of things. And, and you know, you've only got so much weekend. So uh, one of the reasons for us getting rid of it was firstly, we didn't need all the space. Uh, and secondly, we didn't need all the hassle. Yeah, I think it's a situation more, a lot of people find themselves yeah, in. Yeah, right? the more you've got, the more you've got to look after and it's hard work. Yeah. So we have friends who've uh, who've kept the family home and others who, like us, have divested. There are a number of pros and cons for, for either, I suppose, for getting rid of it. I suppose there is the decluttering thing where you've, you've it's easier to keep stuff than to throw it or to donate it or sell it or whatever. And actually that's that's a bit of a trend. Consumerism has really uh, has been a very profitable uh, business model for many companies. And uh, there's a New York Times report recently that said the US has uh, over two and a half billion square feet of external storage. One in 10 Americans have external personal storage and personal storage sheds. It's the fastest growing commercial real estate in the US at the moment as more and more people accumulate and they just keep stuff. And as they run out of space at home, they uh, need to take out personal storage to accom accommodate all of that stuff. And yet on the flip side, there's some, trend there's some trends going in the other direction. Yeah, the, the storage thing is is really quite a phenomenon. And I remember um, probably about oh, 10 years ago taking over a, a quite a big regional division in government and um, – one day in a meeting, somebody said to me, oh, yeah, we just take that to the storage shed. And I said, what storage shed? And then when I had a look in the budget, I saw that we were paying for this quite a large storage facility mm -hmm. where when a chair broke or a computer broke down or something, um, they would just take it there. Yeah. And so it was one of the first things I did was I got that whole thing clear, cleaned mm -hmm. out. 
Um, and I think a lot of people have that with their own personal stuff. Mm-hmm. If you put it into something, you're paying out for it all the time, but mm-hmm. out of sight is out of mind. Mm-hmm. And the trend is to for just to buy more and more things. I mean, you know, these days it's not uncommon for people to own a boat, a couple of cars. Where do you put it all? You know, and and what, that's what also one of when you decide you are going to downsize, then uh, then this becomes suddenly becomes a huge problem because by definition, if you're downsizing, you're going to move to a smaller place, and many places don't have the sorts of storage that that you're used to in a big home. No, no, absolutely. So why would you do it? So decluttering is, I guess, is one thing. More disposable income. I mean, it's certainly that was something that, that we were looking at. Not disposable income, but divesting of properties. So it released some cash that we could invest in other places. What are the, the financial aspects to that from an accounting perspective? How far can people go with that? If you are looking at retiring, is there any? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the... The government brought out in the 2018, or May 2018 it was, budget that from the 1st of July, people over the age of 65, if they had owned their property for 10 years, could actually sell it and make contributions into their super without it affecting their tax. Now, I'm not an accountant and I'm not a financial planner, um, and I would tell anybody that was thinking of doing this to go and get some advice from one of those people, but it's certainly a way of getting some disposable income into super and not having to pay tax on it. Yeah, okay. Um, so it um, you can actually contribute up to $300,000 each. So that's a so 600,000 600, as a couple yeah. into your super. Mm-hmm. Um which is really quite something when you yeah. think of the compounding interest on on super. It, it gives yeah. you opportunities for the future to use that money either yeah. for your lifestyle or for holidays or whatever, mm-hmm. and you don't have to buy another home. No, right. So this is interesting that a lot of older couples are sort of going down the road of then not owning property okay. but actually using that money, putting it into super, and then maybe renting and using their pension payments to wow. pay okay. the rent. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's lots of different options available just depending at what, what stage of life you're yeah. at, what sort of income you've been on in the past and what kind of lifestyle you want. Yeah. Everyone's got their own personal circumstances, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you were living in a million-dollar property or you know, $1.2 million property, which is not that uncommon in Australia these days, you could sell that. Assuming you've paid off the majority of your mortgage, you can invest your six hundred thousand and still maybe buy a five hundred thousand dollar apartment and and bolster your superannuation potentially. That's right, because at that stage as well, you may not want an apartment that's on a really great um, commuter line into the no. city because you're you're, you you're, you're either retired or yeah. you're, you're you're not yeah. looking at working for very much longer. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot more availability for cheaper mm-hmm. properties. Yeah. I mean, it's not for everybody. Some people like a big home that they can entertain in, and you yeah. know they're going to be forever um, holding big parties, and and mm-hmm. that that's one yeah. segment of yeah. the community. Yeah. But yeah. Well, they have a larger um, a large extended family, and they they like to. Have people around yeah, all the time, yeah, and, yeah. You know, or, or family around all the time. Yeah, certainly we moved into the apartment environment, and having already owned one, we quite enjoy apartment living in a lot of ways because it does divest ourselves of gardening and maintenance and that sort of thing. But it does come with its own pitfalls, mostly around body corporate and shared, obviously community living. It's a different mindset from owning your own castle. 
which I don't think a lot of people look into. No, they don't. They go no. in literally with their eyes shut, yeah. not understanding about common property and yep. um, what they can and can't do. Yeah, and their own liability. And so, what are the, some of the things that we we did when we were looking for an apartment? I know you were very, we were very keen on certain aspects of things that we were looking for, particularly. Do you remember our list? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I do. And Mm -hmm. look, everybody's list is going to be totally different. But we definitely wanted a separate laundry and we wanted a separate dining room. Um, Now, not with a a door that closes, but a a specific dining area. Um, Things like how many bedrooms do you need? I Mm -hmm. mean, we wanted a bedroom for us, a spare bedroom and Mm -hmm. one that we could use as an office. Um, I think two bathrooms these days is probably important for most people, whether yep. you use one each or you've got somebody coming to stay, you don't all want to be queuing mm-hmm. up for a bathroom. Yeah. If some people, if you've got uh, a couple of cars and that sort of thing, number of parking spaces is pretty important. Yeah, yeah. we've um, got two and don't use them. But yeah. there'd be, I reckon there'd be a whole bunch of people live in our apartment complex that would swap yeah. those two for the one that they've got. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, we do have a lift to our apartment. Obviously, that adds a lot of cost to uh, body corporate fees, which is another thing that one needs to consider when moving into apartment areas. It doesn't sound like very much, but it comes it comes around in a lump sum every quarter. But as you say, I mean, we're, we're on the second floor. We've got stairs and, mm-hmm. um, and we can use the lift if we need to. But where we used to live before... Um, Lots of people had stairs and there were, were no lifts. It wasn't the kind of no, right. complex the where you could have lifts. Mm-hmm. And it was um, becoming a problem for, for a people. few of our neighbours yeah. in terms yeah. of trying to get up and down. And yeah. especially when you start to do things like you know, think of your weekly shopping and that. Yeah, yeah, It's definitely. a pain in the neck. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. I think the thing, I mean, I spent a lot of time in body corporate committees, as you know, probably six years. I think the things that, that I've noticed that people don't consider, are, firstly, you don't need building insurance because obviously the body corporate's responsible for the building insurance. Um, so you only need contents insurance, mm-hmm. so that's a that's a saving. But the other thing is that you don't actually own a lot of your apartment, which is I think is a bit of a surprise to some people. Often balconies are common property because the boundary of the property is where the sliding doors are. Because frankly, who wants to be responsible for infrastructure? Yep. You know, if a balcony collapses or it develops a problem, you really want the body corporate to pick up the cost of that uh, as part of their building insurance. Uh, rather than you having to, because it's somebody else's roof potentially if it's a balcony. With that becomes the responsibility if you're not allowed to change stuff and you're not allowed to modify it and you don't actually own it, so you can't change it without permission. And the permission is largely because of the insurance. If you modify something that's common property and then you put in an insurance claim, it gives an insurance company potentially an out paying the claim off because they say, well, that common property was modified um, therefore, you've you've uh, you've yeah. invalidated your insurance. So, um, and a lot of people don't realise that. No, and we've certainly seen some fairly graphic examples. Sure. of that as well. Yeah, we have people hammering into uh, into concrete that is actually common property, and same with patios. And yeah, jackhammering, jackhammering up tiles. tiles. Yeah. Yep. All sorts of things. And uh, and so moving into a body corporate environment as well to check the bylaws. So um, anyway, maybe we'll do a different podcast on bodies corporate because uh, that's a, a that's quite an interesting subject. And uh, I think one of the tricks for new players in that mm. area, though, is 
that estate agents are just trying to get a sale. And so they will tell you anything you want to hear in order to get a sale. So it's worth doing your own research um, and trying and understanding. And I'm quite sure that if somebody knocked on our door one day, if they were looking at a one of the properties in our complex and wanted to ask a couple of questions, we'd be more than happy to give them our perspective on having lived in a place for a while. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And real estate agents aren't necessarily body corporate managers. I mean, there are, that's a whole industry in its own right. Yeah. And there are people who specialize in body corporate management and it's not often real estate agents, as you say, they're real estate agents trying to make a sale and they will say, oh, yeah, sure, you can you can do that. Yeah, if you want to rip the tiles up, you can do that. Yeah, if you want to knock down that wall, yeah, sure, you can do that. Yeah. And, uh, no, it's, uh, that's not necessarily the case. Oh, and why would you want any money in the sinking fund? Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, well, just the understanding of what the sinking fund is, how it works, but I think we'll probably cut that. We digress if we go into that. Yeah. So I think we'll, uh, we'll cover that some other time, but... Uh, but certainly these are things that people have to consider, especially if you're used to uh, to um, owning your own property and basically being the, the master of your, everything you can you observe. Mm-hmm. It's uh, It can come as a bit of a shock to realise that, you know, you're now impacting a whole bunch of people that are literally on your doorstep. This um, uh, trend towards um, having less, I mean, it seems to be that there are two schools, aren't there, really? The consumerists who continually buy stuff and then store it and, and the extreme of that, of course, is the hoarders um, and there have been TV programs, I believe, about hoarding and, and those sorts of things. And then there's the other end of the spectrum which seems to be a bit more of a growing trend which is that trend towards minimalism. I suppose the, the, the in-between of that is the – I wouldn't say it's um, a rejection of consumerism but programs like um, Tidying Up with Mari Kondo – have yeah, become very yeah, popular yeah. in terms of the fact that, you know, keep what brings you joy because everything else is a burden. The next jump then is minimalism, which is, well, do I really need this? And it's not about living poor and all being dressed in sackcloth and ashes. It's a, it, it's about being deliberate in your in your spending and what you accumulate, but keep it to a, keep it to a minimum. And the minimalists are actually a couple of guys who wrote a book, Joshua Fields and Ryan Nicodemus. They've got a YouTube channel and a podcast and a book um, and they tour. And there's also their documentary, which was filmed and directed by Matt Diavella, who is another popularist minimalist on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's quite, it's quite interesting to hear what they have to say about that. And apparently it's been life-changing for a number of people who've taken that leap. I don't know if I could do that. So I think the the happy medium is somewhere in between. It's using maybe the Marie Kondo approach of, well, if it brings you joy, then it has a place in your life because it's not burdening you, it's lightening you. Yeah. Um, But don't have more than you need. So it's kind of in between the minimalist thing and and how to assess it. Yeah, and I I think it's being very deliberate in what you need in your life Mm. and what is going to, say, make your life easier or Mm. make you happier or um, it's too easy to buy stuff these days. You can either go to a shopping centre or you can just sit at home in your pyjamas and buy stuff all day over the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's it's about being very real about how you choose to spend your money Mm -hmm. 
um, whether you choose to buy more stuff or choose mm-hmm. to have experiences. Um, I think it's a little bit further. It goes, well. goes a bit further than that, though, doesn't it? Because as part of the process of when we were decluttering and, and downsizing and moving out of our family home, we digitized all of our photographs. And I actually find that I'm looking at the digital f- photos that we've maintained. I mean, it's a wrench. I mean, you did a lot of the scanning um, and the cataloging. But the wrench of actually physically throwing away those photographs was was quite hard, or at least I found it quite hard because I was emotionally attached to these pieces of paper that had images of our past on them. But in actual fact, now that they're accessible digitally, I, I actually look at them more. Yeah. And, and they don't always, take up any space. Yeah, there's always the fear that the electronic, electronic can disappear yeah, for sure. as well. <laughs> there is that. Yeah. Yeah, there is that, and it is a scary thing. Uh-huh. Um, and there's, you know, you can have it on a hard drive and another drive and in the cloud and <laughs> uh, <laughs> saved yeah. all over the place, but there's still that thing that it's just going to yeah, disappear, disappear into the ether. Yes, yeah. You know, yeah. and yet how many people have had house fires exactly, and lost or all of their photos. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. So, Or, or they, they just accumulate albums and albums and albums and they never get looked at and they never get used. Um, uh, and enjoyed and and become clutter. Yeah, yeah. So it's it it's interesting. I mean, I don't know that we would do that with everything, but certainly I I found it was an interesting exercise going through those albums, pulling them all out, digitizing them, and as I say, I get more use out of them now. Yeah. Now that they're available to us, than than we ever did when they were in in albums. You can always print them out again. I guess that's true. Yeah, but. Ten months after having moved into this place, um, if we hadn't done that, all of those albums would still be in a box somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like all the DVDs and CDs. Yeah. And I think you've got to accept as well that that your lifestyle changes with different jobs you change, with different fashions and trends you change. And so um, I've just bagged up a couple of suits now once upon a time I used to go to work in a suit mm-hmm. all the time I wouldn't dream of wearing a suit to work these days no. um, even though I'm still in a corporate role um, it's a lot more relaxed I like much more softer more fluid clothing that allows me your mouse arm gets pretty sore <laughs> if you've got a blazer on all day yeah um, and so I, I find that it's easier to let go of those things once you realise that they just don't even suit your lifestyle anymore no. or your shape or how you even view yourself as a as a person five years, ten years on. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to have you talk about capsule wardrobes and, yeah, uh, yeah. and, and, and how you mix and match is probably a better idea than having outfits that only work as a, an individual outfit, which gets limited use. Yeah. I mean, I had a graphic example of it recently where mm. I led a two-day planning workshop um, and had to do it at Tattersall's Club in Brisbane. Mm. Now, there's a certain level of dress in my old-fashioned mind that I have to wear to Tattersall's, and that included having heels on. Two days on my feet almost killed me. Mm-hmm. I would have much rather been in a very casual workspace where I could have been in jeans and sneakers. I would have felt more nimble on my feet, and it 
I think it would have added to the creativity and some of the ideas that came out of it rather than us all feeling very stuffy in that kind of workplace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it is. It's about it's about yeah. how your lifestyle changes, how things change, yeah. and how you just have yeah. to let go of that stuff yeah. that was part of a life that you're not part of anymore. Yeah. Okay, let's get back into downsizing then. So one of the other aspects of, uh, of we went, we decided to go down the apartment route and but interestingly, the, we bought this apartment off a couple who were selling it because the wife couldn't do apartment yes, living. Yes, yeah, and true. Insist, and they would be similar sort of age to us, I For think. For sure. Uh, yeah. The interesting, taking the best of both worlds, is this move towards tiny house living. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that perhaps potentially this is uh, why it's becoming popular. There's a couple of reasons why it's becoming popular. So for anybody who's interested in... Uh, Resources around tiny house living is uh, a YouTube uh, channel, Living Big in a Tiny House, a uh, guy called Bryce Langston. Uh, he's a Kiwi guy, is a terrific uh, presenter and loves every single place that he goes to, but uh, you can't take that away from him. Um, but the tiny house movement, really big in the US, really big in New Zealand, uh, getting bigger in Australia, pretty big in Canada as well. It's this meeting of, well, I don't want to live in a community environment uh, and get caught in an apartment. Uh, I want to be outside. I want to be on a, on some land, but I can't afford it. Or I want to downsize. Um, so on the one hand, it's low cost uh, option for people who Want to get into the property market? If you're prepared to do a lot of work for yourself, you can get into a tiny house for as little as twenty or thirty thousand dollars. But then it goes to the luxury end of the scale, and you can spend two, three hundred thousand dollars on a on a tiny house, which gives you the option of not only downsizing. Because imagine if you've seen some in Byron Bay, for example. Um, so imagine you're moving out of your $900,000 house and you spend $250,000 on a tiny house, which would be a considerable amount for a tiny house. And you can park it up on on some land somewhere, which is a challenge. You know, Do you own the land? Do you know somebody else who knows the, owns the land? Can you rent land? Are you allowed to put it on there? But then you can up and move it around, but you can do it very cheaply. So you know, there's some cost advantages of doing that as well. But for young people, it's a low-cost introduction to houses as well. Mm-hmm. So you can get in, if you can get in for $30,000, dollars $50,000, you've got something you can sell on, but it also you've got your independence. Oh, you've you got know, a foot on the rung of, on the, on rung. the rung of the ladder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you've got your own place. You, you don't have a huge mortgage. You're not stuck in the one place, which, you know, the, the current generations don't seem to be one to stuck in the one place, mm-hmm. which is why a lot of them rent, I think. I mean, apart from affordability. But. So, so this tiny house movement is quite, quite a big thing, particularly if you've got some handiwork skills of your own or design skills of your own. It seems to be a bit of a growing market that meets the demand of affordability and also minimalism, which is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think you must have to be very disciplined as well in um, A, not collecting Mm -hmm. more stuff but also in how you manage the organisation of your life Mm -hmm. and and your property. But but that's part of the attraction as well because if you're interested in minimalism, it's really hard when you're in a permanent fixture to be a minimalist. I mean, it's not impossible, but it's difficult because it's a discipline. 
But if you're in a space that literally you, you can't afford to accumulate mm-hmm. because you just don't have the space and because it's a mobile-type home, yeah. you know, there's no permanent storage, there's no car park, there's no you know, shed, it forces you into the discipline. You become much more discerning about what you allow into your space and what you keep. It kind of forces you into the discipline. It's being, it's quite interesting watching yeah. some of these videos and hearing people saying, well, this, this sink is really special to me because we went out and we, we found this recycled timber for the countertop and it's really precious to us because, you know, it tells part of our story. Mm-hmm. Suddenly it's not no longer just a kitchen sink. Yeah. It's something you've chosen to be in that space, something you've got to live with and literally be on top of all the time. Mm-hmm. So it might as well make it nice, you know. Yeah. It's it's an interesting it's 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 an interesting paradigm that people seem to be getting into. Yeah, this forced discipline. Mm-hmm. What do I allow into my life? Yeah. It's quite an it's quite an it interesting kind of and goes important with mindfulness. Thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll be mindful about how I design this kitchen yeah. so that because I love to cook, mm-hmm. for instance, not yeah. me. Um, anybody that knows me <laughs> would be going, Why on earth would she say that? But people who love to cook would would want a kitchen that would be something that was very special to them. Yes, for sure. So it's um, that's the reason why I've been so interested. In, personally, I've been so interested in not only just tiny house living uh, but also the minimalist thing, not because it's something that I feel that I could subscribe to but because of the mental processes that you watch people go through in terms of not only where they live, how they live, but also what they choose to allow into their lives and what they maintain, what they collect or what they maintain every it, it is that curated life yes um it's it's as you say mindfulness or it's uh, considered as yeah. opposed to the vast majority of people who are, are consumerists who don't think twice about what they allow into their life it's just i've got to have that latest thing or i've got to have that newest thing or that outfit is now a season old um I, it doesn't form part of what i want but they either just give it away to thrift or eBay or or just retain it. Yeah. There's no consideration in that. It's just, well, I've got to have that. So I, I find the process interesting and, and, and the mental process that people go through. That's what fascinates me. Yeah. I mean, certainly um, I, I think doing an overseas holiday these days, you have to be so much more careful because the airlines are so stringent with the weights of what you can carry around. Mm. So if you're going overseas with your maximum weight, you can't buy anything while you're overseas. Oh, it's a similar and, similar thing. Yeah, yeah you're forced you into the constraints. Yeah. yeah, you're constrained, therefore you have to consider what you're doing. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just we've almost come full circle because in a lot of ways that's what community living's like. You know, when you own your own property and you're on your own bit of ground and you've got your own four walls and your roof and the, and you don't have to consider anything. No. You move into an apartment and suddenly it's considered living. Yeah. Because you have to consider your neighbours, you have to consider the impact you're having on the environment, in you know, your, your local environment. You have to consider a whole set of rules and regulations that determine what you can do and what you can't do, mm-hmm. but it, it operates under a different set of rules than what you're used to. So it's a change. Yeah. So it's, you know, change is hard. Mm. So I think for people there's a lot of decisions to make and a lot of homework to be done. Um, I mean, they always say buying a house is the single most important financial decision you may be ever going to make mm-hmm. in your life. Um, 
You don't only make it once, though. No. You're making that decision on a number of occasions mm -hmm. if you're looking at different property choices. Um, and certainly once you get to around the 60 mark and you're starting to think about retirement and what you want to do with your money, then it's a whole different ball game in, in terms mm -hmm. of not only the size and what you literally want and this, if it's going to suit your lifestyle, but also how much money are you prepared to part with mm. and how much money do you want to put away for the future? Yeah, yeah. When you're young, you just don't think of that stuff. No, I think I remember when we, uh, we bought the last house, um, we almost got to a point where it was we've just got to get something. Um, I'm fatiguing, this will do, you know, yeah. because the whole of the rest of my life is pressing on me. I, that's one thing I can't think too much about and yeah. it's almost like yeah this feels okay we'll go with that mm -hmm. yeah if you can go into it more considered then i think that's probably a, a better idea but there's so many more options there are so many more things oh, to absolutely. consider you should the, say financial yeah. and size and environment so i mean and that's basically what we did last year mm. um we moved twice because we decided to rent for six months whilst we looked around for not only what we wanted to live in but where, where we wanted mm -hmm. to be um and so moving twice in in six months is tough going yeah but you do tend to let more stuff go yeah um and you make better decisions i think yeah 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 certainly if you want to downsize and you want to declutter move twice in a year because <laughs> <laughs> you get two opportunities to cull so uh that definitely works, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we were just fortunate circumstances worked for us yeah. in that way. Um, but, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, it made it a tough year. Yeah, it did, yeah. Well, if you're looking at uh, downsizing or decluttering at the moment, we wish you luck. And uh, we'll uh, put some of the notes and things, some of the references that we've used, we'll put them in the show notes. And uh, we look forward to your company in the next one. And see you later. Thank you. See you later. For further information on the books and resources mentioned in this episode, go to our website, wineontap.com.